are the five markers of a flourishing church? Why is the gospel and having a passion for souls so critical in effective outreach? Can we again have millions of new believers in Jesus in the United States and thousands of new churches? Is it possible for the Christian church to become vibrant and relevant once again? Join us today on Family Shield as I interview Reverend Michael Newman, author of Gospel DNA, Five Markers of a Flourishing Church. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Michael Newman, my guest today, has served in ministry since 1987. He's a mission and ministry facilitator for the Texas District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, author of many books, including the one we're going to talk about today, Gospel DNA, Five Markers of a Flourishing Church. Thanks, Michael, for being my guest today on Family Shield. Oh, it's always a joy to be with you, Kay. Thanks for having me again. You're very welcome. Well, tell our listeners why you wrote this book. You know, isn't it true that we seem to be a little confused by the culture these days? If if you follow Christ, if you're a Christian, the the changes in our culture stump us a little bit. We don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to relate to people who don't follow Christ. And I think our church is losing confidence. So uh, what I did is just try to look back and see how the Church has bridged the gap to the culture in the past and looked around to some areas around the world where uh, the Gospel of Jesus is flourishing, especially in the Global South, and I tried to identify characteristics that perhaps we could use and connect with to bring our confidence back and to be effective instruments for the grace of God. That's great. And I learned so much. Now, you, in the book, uh, talk about the five markers of a flourishing church, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But you also spend a lot of time talking about the history of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on that today because of our lo- a lot of our listeners are not Lutheran. But uh, you talk about how uh, in several hundred years ago, the church was really doing a good job at outreach, but it's been declining for the last 50 years. Just talk a little bit about the statistics related to both the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and the body of Christ. Yeah, you know, I grew up in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It's my denomination now, but even if you're not Lutheran, you can probably appreciate the fact that God is doing something very special in our nation as the Church was becoming established, especially in the mid-1800s and then into the 1900s. So there's some great things that were happening. Um, It's interesting that as we look at our history, what we find are characteristics similar to places around the world today where the Church is really growing. So it was happening here once. And uh, so what I tried to do is I looked and, and thought, what about making a little case study of my denomination And, of course, this applies to some other denominations, too, in the United States, and seeing what was good, what was God doing uniquely here that we could learn from. And we need to learn, because as you mentioned, statistics, you know, the Pew Forum says that the largest, the fastest-growing group of people in our nation are the unaffiliated Mm -hmm. to any church. Mm -hmm. So there's a decline of adherence or connection with Christian churches these days, and probably the 
the greatest need is among millennials, yes. you know, 18 to 29 year olds. So with all the decline going on, now, if we look at a time when there was growth and effective outreach, I thought, hey, what stands out about that time that could be transferable, perhaps, to our time today? Yeah, that's great. One of the statistics that shocked me is that you say in your book that today, 20% of the people in the United States go to church. That was shocking to me, Michael. I thought it was much higher than that. Just comment on that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know, there are different averages, and I deal a lot of, with a lot of demographics around Texas as well. But I just did a demographic study of a heavy metropolitan area in Texas. Almost half of the people claim to be spiritual, mm-hmm. but only 18% of the people said it was important for them to attend a, a religious service during the week or on a weekend. So, you know, one out of five people think it's important to have this active connection with a church. And churches feel this in mm, declining yeah. membership, declining funding, uh, and declining confidence. So the, you know, on one hand, we're a little crushed by that news. We think, wow, shouldn't more people want to go to church? But on the other hand, we see it's a great mission field and a mm-hmm. tremendous opportunity to engage people, perhaps in some different ways, and I get into that in the book. You bet. You bet. Well, you talk about five markers of a flourishing church. Maybe let's begin by just quickly going through them, and then we're going to go back and talk about each one a little bit more in depth. Yeah, sounds good. And in fact, these five markers are not just random. I didn't just think them up. Hmm. Uh, They were drawn from my study of current movements of the gospel around the world today. Some scholars who have looked at these things across the nations and then an evaluation of this case study of the Missouri Synod, as well as looking at some other denominations that did some things in the United States in the early years. So I I drew these characteristics, this DNA, uh, given by God in His Church from actual study. And the five I saw are these. First, people. Loving people. Caring about people. That's huge. The second one is multiplication an active sharing, uh, planting of churches, sharing of faith, raising up leaders. The third is truth, really an uncompromising foundation on the scriptures and on the fundamentals of faith. The fourth is adaptability. So keeping your core beliefs, but making sure you make some adjustments for changing contexts. And the fifth one is self-sacrifice. Uh, which, again, it circles back to people, just loving people mm-hmm. enough, having passion about the gospel enough, where you're willing to give up uh, many, many things so people can know Jesus as their Savior. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's talk more about people. You start your book with a story about Whitney, and uh, I, again, mention her a little later in your book. Tell our listeners about Whitney. Yeah, Whitney was something. She was a young girl in junior high who was very far from God, one of the unchurched families we talked about, and she was already doing some things that put her at risk in terms of practices with uh, substances and sexuality. But one of her friends invited her to a little gathering at our church. It wasn't so little anymore, but uh, we're young people, junior high students used to come, and it actually was confirmation class. But what we did is we opened up confirmation class to the community. So if someone wanted to bring a friend, they can invite him in, 
and there, we had small groups and discussion time and some things to eat. But we looked at God's Word, and we shared Jesus' love through His Word. Well, the environment, the adult leaders, and of course, the Word of God that's so powerful and active, uh, just got into Whitney's heart. And it's the first time, I think, she ever heard the good news of Jesus as her Savior, saving her by His grace through His unconditional love. And she realized this is what she needed. It just gripped her heart. So the next day, she went to school, and she went through the hallways, inviting everybody to her church. She had been there one night for a couple hours, and she invited everybody to her church. And it was a really beautiful thing to see. And she kept coming, and she brought friends with her. And uh, as she studied and learned and fellowshiped, it came to a point where she wanted to be baptized. So we were able to talk with her family. And she and a few friends were baptized one Tuesday evening with all those folks who were with her, young people, and her life was completely changed. And it was all because mm-hmm. one friend invited her to hear the word of mm-hmm. the gospel, okay. and the gospel did the work. So yeah. amazing thing. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, as you talk about people and loving people, uh, what else do you have to share uh, in your first marker of a flourishing church? Well, this is, this is where it all starts. I, I, you know how busy we are, Kay. Yeah, yeah. In this day and age, everybody's on the run, and you go pay at the pump, and you go through the drive through and you hope your neighbor doesn't stop you for too long because you've got a big list of things to do when you get home. And Everybody's busy, and people can become interruptions or inconveniences mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. But God gives us a different heart and a different direction. You know, he calls us to truly love people, to care about them, to take an interest, to get into relationships, to take time. And it all starts with our family. It starts with being together and talking together instead of just looking at screens side by side. And so this this love for people, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, uh, since God so loved us, the Bible says, we ought to love one another. Jesus loved people. He noticed people. He ate with sinners and tax collectors, the disenfranchised. So we, as followers of Jesus, are called to be in the footsteps of Christ, leaders in this world, to seeing people and acknowledging people and taking time for people and loving them. And when we do that, we then, of course, share our story, and we share the gospel, we share the good news in our lives. If we're too busy and if people become bothersome, the most important characteristic of gospel outreach falls to the wayside. So that's the basic building block, and just loving people. How do you cultivate a love for people? It's first hearing, seeing, and receiving God's love in its fullness through word and sacrament and uh, being filled to overflowing so we can go out and just be excited to share that love with others. That's that's the basic foundation. Yeah, and I think uh, you quote in there, and I don't remember who it was, that said a passion for souls is the most effective and important thing that someone that wants to share Christ can have. Uh, I believe it was in that section that you oh, that you shared that. Do you remember sure who was. that was that said that? You quoted the person, and I'm like, I love that statement. I need to put that on my Facebook page. Oh, I'll tell you. Yeah, and maybe the, it isn't just one person. That's the beautiful thing. Uh, I went through, I did a thorough study of the literature of 
my denomination, you know, LCMS from 1800s all the way through the 19, late 50s and early 60s, time and time again, what was expressed is the greatest thing we need is a passion for souls, mm-hmm. to be soul winners. And the, the one you're quoting is actually a little note that my pastor wrote. He was studying a book on the history of the Missouri Synod, and there was a question about what was the most effective mm-hmm. uh, characteristic of someone to reach others with the gospel from history that we see. And he wrote in this little workbook about the history of the Synod, a passion for souls. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, so true. Some, yeah, yeah. It and really that used is. to be passed down. Yes. But now, I don't know if we passed that down as much. No, I don't know if we have either. That's great. Well, uh the second marker of a flourishing church, you talk about multiplication. And I just want to read, uh, you always start each of your chapters with a, a Bible verse, and I just put a few of them down. And the things you have heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses and entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others from Second Timothy 2, I think, verse 2. Yeah. Talk a little bit about why multiplication is so important and how it happens. Yeah, that's the 2-2-2 principle, 2 Timothy 2-2. You heard it in the scriptures. There are four generations of passing the baton from the Apostle Paul to Timothy to others who will teach others. And again, this is not something we have to somehow figure out or generate within ourselves. God is a God of multiplication. He sends. He multiplies. He, You know, the seeds go out into the harvest field. They grow and bear fruit, you know, sometimes 100-fold. So... Uh, this is really simply about entrusting the message to others and entrusting servant leadership to others and establishing more faith communities and churches. It's very tempting for us, I mentioned in the book, to kind of hoard the gospel. You know, we go to church and enjoy a good message and have a good Bible study and underline some things and learn a lot and go to lunch and go home and relax. But it's meant to be shared. And so churches even can fall into the trap of saying we have our programs, we have our church family, we're doing all the stuff we do, we're busy. Uh, there was a the church in Ephesus did that. You know, they're busy. But what we're called to do is then reach out and start new things and activate new people. So whether it's entrusting new believers or young people with leadership to go out and share the good news with others, or planting a new church or starting a new Bible study in the community, as God's people, we're always called to ask the question, how can we share this? How can we multiply this gift of eternal life all around us to others and in other communities? That multiplication question needs to be asked about everything we do as God's people. So it even means, you know, who are you mentoring right now in the Christian faith? Mm -hmm, Or mm -hmm. to do what you do, Kay you know, in sharing the beautiful good news of the Savior across the airwaves. Multiplication is a key for all of us in kingdom movement. Great, great. I want to make a few announcements, and then we're going to come back and uh, touch on each of the rest of the uh, markers of a flourishing church. Family Shield wants to welcome our 53rd radio station, KNNA 95.7 FM in Lincoln, Nebraska, to our radio network. We're glad you are a part of our radio network and pray that the programs will bless your listeners and encourage Christians in their daily walk with the Lord. 
Today, Family Shield is giving away the complimentary booklet, Your Place in God's Plan. To receive the booklet, call our response center, 1-877-250-8416, or email us at witness2family at gmail.com. If you're a Thrivent Financial member, you can designate your Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield Ministries outreach. Go to the Thrivent website at www.thrivent.com or call them 1-800-847-4836. We thank our listeners that have already signed up to be Choice Dollars for Family Shield. It helps us with our radio airtime. On October 8th, Family Shield will have its Go First Into the Home Benefit Dinner at Webster Gardens Lutheran Church in St. Louis. Our speaker is Reverend Greg Seltz of Lutheran Hour Ministries. If you'd like to receive an invitation with more information, email us at witness2family at gmail.com. Tickets are $35 and tables of eight are available in advance. You can also send prayer requests, program topic suggestions, or a financial gift to Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015. St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. Now I want to go back to my guest, Reverend Michael Newman, author of Gospel, DNA, Five Markers of a Flourishing Church. If you'd like to get a copy of his book, you can go to his website, mnewman.org. You can search for it on Amazon or through Gospel DNA. And again, um, my guest is Michael Newman, and we have been talking about the five markers of a flourishing church. We talked about people and multiplication. Let's go on and talk about truth. And I had added humility because you talked a little bit about that. Uh, What about walking in prayer and the importance of truth? Mm, Oh, yeah, so important, Kay. And this is, I think my hope, too, for this book is that people listening who may be in a church where you feel a little stuck or you don't know what to do or how to bridge the gap to outreach can pick up the book, uh, get some ideas. There's some practical applications. Some, uh, there's a study guide after each little chapter, mm-hmm. a little uh, gospel DNA journal to think about your own outreach. So it really is, when it comes to truth, really talk about that foundation of the Scriptures. We don't have to be afraid of compromising God's Word as we reach out and as we share our faith. Sometimes people think that if the church grows, it has to sacrifice the beautiful message, the pure message of the gospel. But that's not true at all. You know, we're here to protect and preserve the truth, but also to promote it. And that's where humility comes in. You're trusting that God is in charge of his church, uh, that our witness and our proclamation is filled with His Spirit. We water and plant. He gives the growth, and He gets the credit. So we need to take a humble approach to, to the truth, instead of sometimes a haughty approach or maybe an arrogant approach that we're the sole guardians and owners of the truth. You know, the Scriptures let us know that we're called to speak the truth in love. So truth is very freeing, actually. It's uh, It really allows us to trust God to do so much with the Word. So we don't have to be afraid. That's Absolutely. the key thing about the truth. That's right. And you talk also about uh, the truth in the Spirit, the truth in discipleship, because our time is short. I love the story of your pastor and how he uh, helped you and learn more about discipleship. Can you just share that story? Yeah, you know, this is a perfect example. When I was 
in high school, my pastor invited me to come and play the guitar at his Sunday afternoon nursing home services. And I was a beginning guitar player. I didn't even have a case for my guitar. I rode on a bike to church, and he took me over to the nursing home. And uh, I played What a Friend We Have in Jesus, a few simple songs, and I was astounded at the, the people were so grateful. and Tears were in their eyes as they heard me strum those in my beginner's way. I realized that, you know, my pastor didn't need me there, but what he was doing was raising up a disciple. Mm -hmm. He was about multiplication and sharing the truth and showing me that I, too, could be a missionary, just like every one of us who trusts Christ as a missionary. So in little ways, you know, uh, everyone can do little things by Mm -hmm. God's grace and through His Spirit to make a great impact. You bet. You bet. Uh, Let's talk about adaptability and why that is one of the five markers of a flourishing church. Yeah, you know, it's one thing I saw. I see it around the world today. I saw it in our own denomination, that there was not a compromise of the truth, but a flexibility of methods and outreach into certain contexts. So we all, you know, we're afraid of change. Mm -hmm. Everyone's afraid of change. But God allows us. He even adapts. You know, Jesus came and healed on the Sabbath. He did things differently. He showed that uh, in different contexts, we can still reach out with the gospel. So whether it's language or culture uh, or some of the changes we're seeing in our uh, society today, we don't have to compromise the truth to do a little tweaking and see if we can reach into a context in a new way. Absolutely. Because we don't have a lot of time, I just want to mention to the listeners that we've done several radio programs on millennials. Two of them were with Ben Freudenberg of Concordia University, Wisconsin. And we talked a lot about reaching the young people and some of the changes that churches might need to do. So it's on our archive page if you want to learn a little bit more about that. I know I wanted to ask you a little more about what some of the uh, people in congregations in Texas are doing to reach those that don't know Christ. Um, if we do that, we may end up running out of time, but we only have one more thing. So just share a little bit about what the congregations that you know uh, in Texas are doing to reach unreached people. Oh, sure. And I'll tie it in with the last marker, because all these missionaries are giving of themselves. One of the big things we see is that workers, they may be pastors or deaconesses, uh, and they're lay people, too, are reaching out while they're working in the marketplace. Mm. They're bivocational. So they're working a full-time job sometimes, as well as serving in a community to reach the community with the gospel, plant a church, start a ministry. It's tremendous self-sacrifice, but we see uh, all kinds of amazing things going on. On Sunday, we just welcomed a young woman who is reaching groups of young people, millennials, in the Rio Grande Valley, to try to gather them for fellowship, conversation, and they may become little embryonic churches of young people, even Mm -hmm. high school or junior high age people, so they can connect in a different way and kind of a multi-platform of communication. We have a young man here in the district who is gathering in coffee shops. He's reaching millennials, too. Uh, they have a different format for what is a worship gathering. It involves conversation, uh, response to word, the word that is teached, but uh, you know, young people are responding to that. We have an Arabic-speaking pastor who is gathering people together 
in the Dallas area, and they're reaching out to fellow Muslim, to Muslims, and people are oh. converting from Islam. Oh, that's fantastic! Becoming believers in Christ because of this outreach. It's the only Arabic-speaking congregation we have in the Missouri Synod. It's wow. amazing. So. There are, there are congregations being started, churches being started in many locations, reaching many different age groups in more than 15 different languages, meeting in places you'd never expect, like uh-huh. apartment courtyards. Uh-huh. And some, of course, are meeting in regular church buildings. Uh-huh. But people are adapting, they're sacrificing, so they could reach people with the unchanging message of Jesus. That's great. And you talked about self-sacrifice. I think we have about three minutes left. In the that part of the, your book, you talked about Alilo, L-I-L-O, Lilo, can you share just quickly that story? I thought it was great. Sure, yeah, Lilo, oh, she was uh, an older lady who suffered a stroke and ran into all kinds of difficulties. She couldn't take care of herself, and so a community organization reached out to our church and asked if we can help. Well, when she had her stroke, Lilo, who spoke English, forgot English and remembered her language of birth, which was German. Mm-hmm. So I could speak a little German, and so could some others, and we were able to communicate with her. And some folks from our congregation stepped up and just befriended her. They cleaned up her apartment, helped her take care of her dog, brought her meals, included her in outings, and she just saw the love of Christ in action, had a new lease on life, confessed Jesus as her Savior, received the gifts of word and sacrament, and uh Lilo did pass away, but when she passed away, she had a community around her. Uh, And that's so important these days, that the church is not just a one-hour meeting Mm -hmm. on a Sunday and we all go home, but that truly we are a community. We love each other, befriend each other, care about each other, lift up each other in prayer, and that we pray together for this mission. That's the bedrock. So Lilo is a wonderful example of how God's people do have something so important to bring, to a broken world. Each of us has that by grace, and I'd encourage all the listeners to just look for the little mission field around them and respond, and let's elevate the conversation in the culture that can get so destructive back to where the Lord brings it in the area of His grace and sharing His good news. Very good. Thank you so much. My guest has been Reverend Michael Newman and his book, Gospel DNA, Five Markers of a Flourishing Church. I wanted to just uh, conclude with one of the Bible verses I had under self-sacrifice, which is from your book. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, from Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Again, I want to mention that our booklet this week is Your Place in God's Plan, and you can call our Response Center, 1-877-250-8416. If you want to learn more about our October 8th dinner, uh, you can uh, email us at witness2family at gmail.com. This is Kay Meyer. Thanks again for listening. God bless your day. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield.